This is session 39 of A Better Brand of Happiness, and that phrase, A Better Brand of Happiness, describes our series in the, through the book of Philippians. This session continues the passage of scripture, the paragraph that we began last time, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. So let me encourage you to take your Bibles now and turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Philippians 4.10 says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We began our study of this paragraph of Scripture last Sunday in session 38. And as always, in that session, I shared with you my one-sentence summary of this paragraph of Scripture, which I call the big idea. That one-sentence summary of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, the big idea statement is, when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. Paul saw through the gift itself to the heart of the Philippians that motivated their gift. And that made him more appreciative than simply the money that he received and the buying power that came from it. This paragraph, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, was really the ultimate purpose for Paul's writing this entire letter of, of, uh, that we call the book of Philippians. Paul wrote the book of Philippians so that he could write Philippians 4, 10 through 20. He had this thank you section in mind when he began writing the letter. Now, the rest of the letter is important. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was very uh, helpful for the Philippians in their walk with Christ and for us as we've walked through each section of it. But the, the original impulse to write this letter came from the gift the Philippians had sent, And it was this section of thanks that Paul wanted most to write in this letter, and it's what caused him to start writing this letter in the first place. Now, just to remind you of what we learned 
uh, quickly in the previous section, in the last session, Paul wrote this book that we call Philippians while he was in custody of the Roman Empire. He was a prisoner in Rome, but he was not actually in prison. Rather, he was under house arrest in Rome. The Roman government allowed him to rent his own house at his own expense, and he was confined there, but he was, that was obviously a more comfortable way to live than actually being in the Roman prison. And Paul was awaiting his trial in Rome, the trial that he was awaiting at the end of the book of Acts. And so that's the setting in which Paul wrote this book that we call the book of Philippians. Now, while Paul was in custody, while he was awaiting his trial, while he was under house arrest in Rome, the church at Philippi took an offering. They gathered together a gift of money, and they sent it to Paul to provide for his needs while he was sequestered and awaiting his trial in Rome. Paul wrote this letter that we call Philippians to thank the church in Philippi for the gift of money that they sent. We looked at verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4 in the last session. And that verse, Philippians 4.10, told us that receiving the gift the Philippians sent Paul gave him a spirit of great joy because it showed that they cared for Paul as a person. The concern that motivated their gift meant more to Paul than the actual money itself, though he needed the money and the money was helpful to him. It was the spirit that caused them to get together and gather the money and send it to Paul. That meant more to him than the actual financial need that it provided. Okay, that was verse 10. This morning, I want to take some time to look at verse 11 here in Philippians chapter 4. And just to remind you, verse 11 says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 11 begins with what I would call a clarifying disclaimer. It begins with a clarifying disclaimer. It says, I am not saying this because Paul has understood or he believes that what he said in verse 10 and what follows could be misunderstood by the Philippians. And so Paul, by beginning verse 11 by saying, I'm not saying this because, tells us that phrase tells me that he wants to clarify something. He needs to explain something so as not to be misunderstood. And so verse 11 is really about explaining. And what Paul explained is that he was not hinting at another gift. In verse 11, Paul said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He wants the Philippians to know that what he is about to write to them and what he is writing to them in this paragraph is not a hint that he needs more money. And sometimes people do this. Sometimes people receive a gift, but they hint that they actually want something more or something else. Have you ever done this? Or has it ever happened to you? Several years ago, I bought a teaching series from a ministry that I like very much and still appreciate very much. And that teaching series was one that I bought on their website, and it was just downloadable material. It was downloadable videos, and then there was like a notebook that you would download as a PDF, and you could print it off if you wanted to use it. And so I uh, bought it from that ministry's website, and I downloaded the teaching videos and the note that, that came along with the series. Now, because I bought it from that ministry's website, 
I had to give them my information. I had to give them my name, and because I was using my credit card, I had to give them my home address, and I had to give them my phone number. And within minutes after placing my order, I got a phone call from the ministry asking me to become a monthly supporting partner of the ministry. In other words, well, first of all, they thanked me for my purchase, but their thanks was really a pretext to ask me for more money, to ask me to take them on as a, uh, for a financial gift. And so in addition to thanking me, their thanks became an opportunity to make me and to convert me into a monthly donor to the ministry that they had ongoing. And so their thanks was designed to suggest that I give them more money. Now, I still like that ministry, and I actually did become a monthly supporting partner for them for many years. But it still kind of bothers me that they did that. It still kind of bothers me that that before I finished downloading the material even, I got a phone call to thank me for buying the material, but also to set me up as a donor to the ministry. It, It kind of, it bothered me that they didn't even let me look at the materials I'd purchased before asking me for more money. Has that ever happened to you? If so, maybe like me, you kind of felt a little manipulated. The thanks that you received maybe didn't seem quite so sincere because behind it was a question, behind it was a suggestion that in fact what you had contributed wasn't enough, that more should be given, that more should be needed. Now, Paul understood that his thanks here in Philippians chapter 4.10 could be construed that way by the Philippians. It could be misunderstood as a ploy to get another gift from them. And so verses 11 through 13 are designed to tell the Philippians, hey, I'm not writing this to you because I'm trying to get more money from you. In fact, Paul basically said that in verse 11. Look at the first phrase of verse 11 again. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Paul wants to disclaim the idea that his need is bigger than the gift he received, that more money needs to be sent. And so Paul is trying to tell them straight out here that he's not hinting at another gift. Paul did not need another gift of money. That's the first part of verse 11 and what it's communicating to us. Now, back in verse 10, Paul had said how much the financial gift of the Philippians meant to him. But now he wants to make sure that he's not misunderstood. So here in verse 11, he clarifies that the point of thanking them for the gift is not in hopes of getting another one. Instead, he wanted to show the Philippians that though he was thankful for the money that they gave him, he was not yearning for more of it. So he wrote this message not to subtly suggest another gift from them, but to teach them something that he had learned as a Christian. So Paul wants to thank them, but he also wants to teach them something. But in the middle of it, he doesn't want to be misunderstood as seeking another gift. And so the next phrase in verse 11 tells us us something about what Paul had learned. Paul wants to communicate something that he's learned in association with money as part of thanking them for the gift. And so the next phrase in verse 11 tells us what that is. Notice again, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. That's the disclaimer. Now here comes the content. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever 
the circumstances. That last phrase, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, has a lot more in it than you might think just by looking at it. Paul's telling the Philippians that he did not need another gift of money, and the reason he did not need more money is because he had learned how to be content. He had learned how to be content. At the end of verse 11, it says, For I have learned. And that word learned is one of several New Testament words that's associated with the idea of discipleship. There are different words that the New Testament uses to designate discipleship, and this is one of them, the one that's translated uh, with the word learned in verse 11. Now, as you know, all Christians are disciples. The call to be a Christian is the call to follow Jesus with your life as a disciple. We are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we are constantly learning from him. Part of the Christian life is receiving the truth that Jesus imparts to us as his followers. And you might say there are actually two broad categories of learning that disciples receive as followers of Jesus Christ. One category we learn as followers of Jesus Christ is what we might call doctrine. As followers of Jesus, we need to learn the truths of the Christian faith. We need to learn the facts of the biblical story and of the biblical accounts. We need to learn the basic structures of our faith. What is true and what is false with regard to God and the Christian life. That is the category of doctrine, and it's one of the things that we learn as followers of Jesus. But there's a second category that we learn as followers of Jesus. And that second category is the category we might call obedience. As followers of Jesus, we're learning doctrine, but we're also learning what it means to obey Jesus. And as we live and follow Jesus, we learn to live life God's way, according to God's commands, according to God's will for our life. Disciples are learning how to live differently than the way we were raised before we became Christians or the way that our natural impulses, our our lower nature, our sinful nature would have us live. Following Jesus is relearning how to live, learning how to live a life that is pleasing to God, how to put into practice the doctrines and principles that Jesus taught us in the Word. And so we have these two categories, doctrine and life or obedience. Now here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul refers to his discipleship. He says in verse 11, I have learned, and he uses one of the words of discipleship. And he does all of this to tell us that part of his discipleship, part of his following Jesus Christ, meant learning something in that second category of obedience. Paul knew a lot of doctrine. He learned a lot of doctrine. But he also learned what it meant to live for Jesus. And he's going to tell us about that in this section. What he's saying is that as he grew closer to Jesus Christ, his faith in Christ increased and something changed inside his heart. And what is it? What is it that changed inside his heart? The next phrase in verse 11 tells us. It tells us what Paul learned as a follower of Jesus Christ. It tells us why Paul didn't need more money from the Philippians and didn't want to suggest that they send him more money. 
because it tells us that he had learned how to be content. Paul did not need more money because he learned how to be content. Look at verse 11 with me again. The scripture says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. The end of that verse tells us what Paul learned as part of his discipleship. And what he had learned was contentment. He learned how to be content. Now, the word content in verse 11 introduces the concept of contentment. It's one you're familiar with. But it's one that's kind of hard to define in a lot of ways. What is contentment? It's not as easy to define as justification is. I would say that contentment is a feeling. It's not primarily a principle that's known, although there's knowledge, of course, associated with it. It's really part of your emotions. Contentment is a feeling, and as a feeling, that makes it hard to describe. And maybe the best way to describe it is actually a lack of feeling, which is a lack of dissatisfaction. What is contentment? It's a heart that lacks dissatisfaction. Or maybe another way to say it is this. Contentment is the absence of a desire for more. That's what contentment really is. It's when you don't have that yearning for more. Now remember that Paul tells us that contentment is something he learned as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that implies that contentment really isn't natural to us as human beings. Contentment doesn't come naturally to us as human beings. And I would say, as we'll see in further sessions as we dig into this passage more, that contentment actually isn't one of the easier things to learn about the Christian life. It doesn't happen naturally to us, and it's not really one of the first things we learn as Christians either in terms of our obedience to Christ. Because the truth of the matter is that our fallen human nature the part of us that God declared would be the sinful nature passed down to us after humanity sinned, that part of us, our fallen human nature, tends to focus on what we perceive to be missing in our life. It tends to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. In other words, we lack contentment because we think something's missing from our lives. Whenever we have that feeling of discontentment, it's because we think something's missing. And something that, that, that something that is missing from our lives could be something that we used to have that we no longer have. You've experienced this. At some point in your life, you had something that was very meaningful to you, and then for whatever reason, because we live in a fallen world, probably in some way or other, you lost it. It went away. And even today, you can look back on that, and you miss it, okay? That feeling of missing what you once had, that, that's, a, that's discontentment. And that's a focus on what you no longer have that you once had. This might be income you lost when you had to change jobs for some reason. If the company you're working for closed and you had to find another job quickly, you might have had to take a job that paid less. And all of a sudden, you've got to adjust everything. You've got to adjust your entire financial life around having less money coming in. 
It's hard not to miss the difference between what you used to be paid and what you're paid now. Or this might be in your health. At one time, when you were younger, you were healthier and you could do whatever you wanted. You could eat whatever you wanted. But now you have to take medication, maybe. Or maybe you have to watch what you eat, or you have to do less in order to maintain the lower level of health that you have now compared to what you once had. And maybe all of this makes you look back fondly at when you used to be able to eat what you wanted, and you used to be able to not have to take medication, and you used to be able to do whatever it was you wanted in life. That gap between what you once had and what you have now, whether it's in your health or your finances or in some other area, that can create a feeling of discontentment in your life. So that's sometimes what's missing is something we used to have. But other times, what we perceive to be missing when we're discontent has to do with things that other people have that we don't. It's a look, on, it's a look out at the rest of the world. And maybe someone in your family has more than you have. Or someone in your neighborhood has more or better than you have. Or someone that you work with or, or whatever. Sometimes what is missing is what other people have that we wish we could have. And it's not always material things. Some people feel discontent because they desperately want to be married, but they haven't found a spouse yet. Some people feel discontent because they're married and they want children, but they're unable to have children on their own, and that leaves them feeling jealous. Discontent with life. Because people their age, because people your age have children, and so far you don't. Or maybe you wish you had a less demanding job. Or you could live in a different climate. Or maybe you wish you even had a different spouse. Maybe you wish you could buy a different car. Did you see those new Ford Broncos that Ford just recently announced? I'd like to have one. <laughs> but the cars I have are more than adequate. They're a little beat up and a few years old. But they still work, and they're still comfortable to drive and to ride around in. I anticipate many more years of life out of them. And so it's easy to look at a new vehicle that's announced and to feel discontent with what you have, even though what you have is more than adequate. And by the way, it used to be something that made you happy when you bought it. This is what the human mind is like. This is what human life is like. We quickly grow dissatisfied with life as it is, either because we're missing something we used to have or because other people have things that we think we would want. Although Paul was thankful for the gift the Philippians had sent him, he wanted them to know that he was happy before he even got it. Even though he genuinely had a need in his life, and he alludes to it later on in the passage, in verse 18 he says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received the gift you sent from Epaphroditus. And so, the, what the Philippians said to him really met a genuine need in his life, but what he wants them to know is he was happy even before he got it. 
And in fact, if they hadn't sent it or if they sent him nothing else. Paul's saying, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I've learned to be happy even when things are missing in my life, significant things that I need. If they hadn't sent him the money or if they didn't send him another dollar, Paul said, I've learned as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what it means to be content, what it means to feel satisfied with what God has brought into my life. And not to have that very human yearning for more or yearning for better or desire for what was lost or what could have been or what could be. At the end of verse 11, he tells us that his ability to be content has nothing to do with his circumstances. Look again at verse 11. He says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That phrase tells us that it didn't really matter what he had or didn't have. In fact, the next verse, which we'll come to next Sunday, tells us exactly this. He says, I've been in different circumstances in my life, and guess what? I've learned as a follower of Jesus how to be happy, how to be content, regardless of whether I'm here stuck in house arrest or whether I was in a Roman prison or whether I was out serving Christ with the gospel, whether I had money for tomorrow's food today or not. Paul says, I've learned what it means to feel satisfied, regardless of what circumstances I find myself in. And so it tells us that contentment, Paul's example here, and what he wrote here, tells us that contentment really isn't about receiving receiving a certain level of provision or a certain level of income, or a certain level of comfort, or a certain level of health. That's what we think. We think if I can just get to the next income level, if I could just have some more breathing room between my income and my expenses, then I would be able to be more satisfied with my life. Or we think if I could just get healthier, then I would be happier with my life. I'd be more content. Or if I could just get another three or 500 more square feet on this house or a house with more square footage. Just so we're not as a family on top of each other all the time. If we could just have a little bit more square footage then, or a little more acreage maybe, then I would be happy with what I have. That's what we think. We think if we reach a certain level, a certain plateau, it'll all click into place and we'll finally feel satisfied. But Paul says in verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whether he reached a plateau or not, he knew what it meant to feel satisfied in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come back to this idea of contentment in the next session. But the point is that contentment, the feeling of satisfaction with your life, comes from knowing and loving, and trusting, and serving in obedience, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul uses the language in verse 11 that he does. He's saying, I've learned this as part of my discipleship. And in verse 13, he's going to get very explicit and says, it's Christ who enables me to have this feeling of contentment, regardless of the circumstances that I experience in life. Contentment for Christians comes from our relationship with God not from the things we have or don't have. 
not from reaching a plateau, not from satisfying our desires. That's what Paul found in his life. It took him probably many years of discipleship, many years of dealing with that feeling of dissatisfaction. And I think that's what he's getting at here. He's saying, this was not an easy thing to learn for me. It took me years of feeling discontent, of feeling dissatisfied before I learned what it meant to find my satisfaction in Jesus. But he says, I've, I've gotten there. By the grace of God, I've reached a place in my life where I don't have that yearning for more and where I don't expect that the next gift is going to make me happy. Instead, I'm just trusting God day to day and moment to moment, believing in him and finding my satisfaction in him. Can you say that? Can you say that your relationship with Christ is so strong or growing so strong, trending in a way, that you're satisfied with the life that you have? That even if you remained at this level or even if it declined, your faith in Christ, your love for him, all that he has given to us by his grace means so much to you that you can be happy regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. Is your relationship with Christ so strong? Is it growing so strong that you're satisfied with the life you have, even if your income is less than it was or your health is less than it was? Or you never get the possessions that would be nice to have? Is your walk with Christ satisfying enough to bring you contentment in your life? That's a better brand of happiness. Because the world around us is constantly telling us happiness comes with the next promotion. Happiness comes with the next income tier. Happiness comes in retirement. Happiness comes with the keys to a new Ford Bronco. Happiness comes with a different spouse or whatever. That's what the world around us is telling us. It's telling us that happiness can be found outside The scripture says that happiness is found inside and not inside ourselves, but inside of us through the grace of God that's poured into us, through our relationship with Jesus Christ who lives within us and promises to provide for all of our needs, promises to walk with us through whatever challenges we face in life. This is a better brand of happiness because it's one that will really satisfy you. New things satisfy us for a little while, and then they become the old thing. There's an ever-refreshing um, list of things that we could have, that other people have, that will constantly renew our sense of dissatisfaction if we find or we look for contentment outside of ourselves and our relationship with Jesus Christ. But a better brand of happiness is contentment. That's the big idea for this message. Contentment is a better brand of happiness. And it's the kind of contentment that God gives to us as a gift through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that where you are? If you're watching this online or maybe you've come here and you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
contentment is one of the things that Christ offers you. It's not the only thing. It's really not the important, most important thing. But it is one thing that Christ offers you. He offers you an end to the endless thirst, the endless striving that comes so common to us as human beings. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus literally said those words. He says, all who are thirsty, come to me, the water of life. And so if you're not a Christian, this is the invitation to you to stop looking outside at things or experiences or status as the secret to happiness. And instead, come to Jesus Christ and follow him as your Lord. And in the process of following him, you'll find contentment, a better brand of happiness, as a byproduct of following Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, as Christians, you know that we struggle with this, that the internal desire within is constantly becoming dissatisfied with what we have. And it's very easy for us to take our eyes off of our walk with Christ and put them on the world around us. It's very easy for us to stop feeling thankful for what God has done for us and what God has given to us and start feeling like we're missing out because there are other things out there that we wish we could have that we don't. This passage calls us back again to our relationship with God, to our walk with God. It says, a better brand of happiness comes from walking with Christ, from being his disciple. And in the process of following him as his disciple, he gives you contentment as a gift. This is a better brand of happiness.